Hey, this is your guarantee to put you in a good mood story of the day. Don't you just love stories where people put others first? There are so many like it coming out of Fort Myers in Naples, Florida, where Hurricane Ian hit. A reporter in Orlando saved a nurse who got trapped in her flooded car by carrying her on his back through the floodwaters. She was just trying to get to work to help others. Good Samaritan saved an older guy from a flooded vehicle near Fort Myers. And people are loving a video of a 29-year-old guy named Mike Ross who saved a cat stuck hmm. in Hurricane Ian. I saw that. People are even getting out their own jet skis and boats and going rescuing people on bo- uh, barrier islands hmm. in those areas. Just phenomenal to see the outpouring of love. Coming up, could this be the key to raising strong, resilient kids? Could this be the key to raising strong, resilient kids? After all, you want your kids to be able to face challenges and grow stronger as a result, right? A doctor who studies early brain development found something surprising that helps, and it is creating nurturing routines with your kids. That structure and familiar routine helps kids feel comfortable and safe so that when something unexpected does happen, they handle it a lot better. After little kids learn the routine from mom and dad, empowering them to do it on their own builds their confidence and they become more and more resilient. And it's wild how often things like chores and like a set bedtime and nighttime routine ends up building really resilient kids. I've mentioned before, my wife and I, we have a dear friend who works for, I'm not going to name the company, a major snack company. Probably made a bunch of stuff you probably have in your pantry right now. Part of her job is quality control. It's very, very interesting what she has to do. She'll have to like randomly go out to gas stations or grocery stores and buy the product and see how it's doing out in the field. Wait till you hear what she had to do the other day with something she bought. It's so funny. So uh, we're telling you about a friend of ours who works for quality control for a major snack brand. Major snack brand. I don't want to say who it is because I don't want to get her in, in Did any trouble. Did you say trouble, it was major? Major <laughs> snack brand. And she has kind of a cool job. They She works on developing snacks. And, and part of the job is, I don't know if it's barbecue flavor chips. Um, they have to come up with the barbecue flavor. Um, come up with it as cheap as possible still within FDA regulations and as tasty as possible, particularly compared to other ones. So they'll do like taste tests. They'll get like 10 of 10 normal human beings in a room and chip number A, chip number B, chip number C, which one do you like the best and why? That type of thing. Hmm. Um, But another thing that she has to do is go out and visit stores for quality control and just randomly buy, buy a pack of whatever chips or dip or whatever it is at this store then go to a gas station then go across town to another one and stamp sample them to make sure that the quality's up there so the other day she had to go out and let's i can't say the name of the product because you'll know what company it is let's just say it's trail mix right it's a mix of like candy and nuts and Mm -hmm. granola and stuff she had to buy a box of trail mix at like seven different locations and count the number of nuts in each one to make sure it was uniform. This is her job. Uh huh. <laughs> wow. I mean, she's got like she's got engine. I don't know what you do to to be able to, to chemical engineering chemical engineering mm-hmm. degrees out the wazoo, and that's what she's spending her time. I mean, when you're pulling into that gas station, you must be thinking like. All those years of education for this. Yeah. <laughs> Counting nuts. That's hilarious. That's your job? 
You have to count. But I mean, it, I mean, in a way, like every job has the mundane side. Yeah. Like even, um, you know, all the artists we play, the musicians, it looks like this awesome rock star lifestyle. And, right, you know, they're right. like riding buses, planes, trains, automobiles, or mm-hmm. hanging out in the the back of a church waiting for the concert to start. So well, my son was, uh, you know, as soon as he finished his master's, I think he's probably going to get back out on the road, but touring musician and he's lived that life. And he's like, Oh my gosh, it is mind numbingly boring. Hmm. And you know, say a concert is 90 minutes. He's like time of your life for 90 minutes. The other 22 and a half hours a day are yeah. just, <laughs> that's why that's why you see people develop like is it jeremy camp i forget who it is who has these like outside the bus workouts right that they exactly. videotape that's a kyle he'd go for a run he'd read that yeah. kind of stuff so but anyhow that is quite very interesting hey uh go count the nuts that would drive me nuts <laughs> so how about that friend of mine her job and and she's pretty high level like researcher developer person but she had to go around to convenience stores and grocery stores she works for a snack company buy their snack items and count the number of nuts in a certain snack product that's so funny and then we were talking about how every job has the mundane side and man when i first got out of college did i ever work some mundane jobs just to pay the bills while glenn was in law school Mm -hmm. like um one job i had i worked for a floor covering place and they didn't want you to be able to just like shop around and find that same carpet anywhere. Yeah. So we would rename the brand, like the type of the style and the color. And I had to type that up on the label, heat up the old sample label, peel it off and iron <laughs> on the new. I'm like, I'm ironing. I just so went to college and I'm ironing. You were participating in, in kind of a, a deep fake. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> And then after that, we moved to, my husband found his first job out of law school in in Florida, not far from where I grew up. Mm-hmm. And so he's starting his career. I'm still trying to do radio. I'm doing it like part time. And I find a job working for a company that takes youth sports photos. Mm-hmm. And then I stand there all day long. It was a standing desk, making them into buttons and magnets. <laughs> and I'm just like, what am I my dad's thinking of me right now. Like, this is my Wheaton College education. <laughs> but and, and you were paying off your college loan with whatever you were making an hour at the trophy at that, that place, right? There, uh, there, was then, no, uh, there was no debt relief for, then for I, you. No. And I finally, I worked, I did part-time in radio for years before I finally started full-time. So mm. had to pay my dues first. There you go. Are you becoming more and more like your other half the longer you're married? Chances are you answered yes. Long-term couples often begin to think and behave similarly, according to new research. Hmm. In fact, it's so powerful, you start having synchronized brain activity. (laughs) For example, married couples who reported greater satisfaction in their marriage were more likely to show activities in similar parts of their brain when they watched uh, a relationship-related movie clip. Hmm. So, yeah, your brain is synchronized with your other half the longer you're married. You're really in sync if when watching that show, your better half goes, hey, you want a snack? And you're like, that's exactly what I was thinking. (laughs) (laughs) Let's get pause. Let's get something to eat. Coming up, could this be just one of the many reasons parents are so busy? 
Could this be just one of the many reasons parents are so busy? In just the first five years of your child's life, guess how much time you spend playing with them? 1,300 hours. (laughs) It's at least 45 minutes a day, 260 hours a year. Almost every mom and dad you ask believes in the power of play to teach kids communication skills and virtues like sharing and kindness. It's also important, play is, for kids to learn problem-solving creativity and language skills. But man, 1,300 hours in just the first five years of their lives. It's a lot. No wonder parents are so stressed and busy. That's a lot. It's a lot of candy land. (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever overcome a fear that you had, like maybe had a fear of public speaking or Mm. like a friend of mine, she had a fear of swimming. She never learned as a kid. No kidding. And she overcame it and did a triathlon. We're going to talk about overcoming fears in just a minute. Have you ever overcome a big fear in your life? Like maybe you were just petrified to get up and give a speech. Um, I know that scares me to this day. That's not my thing. Hmm. I can get up and host something. But if I'm supposed to be the one giving the speech, it's like, oh, okay. Share an original thought. (laughs) What? (laughs) uh, I have lots of them. I just don't want to share them. (laughs) Yeah. And then, uh, like I I was saying earlier, I have a friend who overcame her fear of swimming. She never learned to swim as a little girl. And she not only overcame her fear, but she competed in a triathlon. Hmm. Well, there's a, a big fear that I've had in my life for the past six months. I mean, it. there were times where the fear would kind of like bubble up in me so much. Sometimes it would sting my eyes with tears because I'd be like, oh man, I don't know. I don't think that's going to happen. And um, I was able to overcome my fear yesterday. I got back on my mountain bike after breaking my wrist mountain biking back in April. And I could not be happier. It was one of those things where I just, you know, you kind of, anyone who's fallen for any reason, usually it's tripping over dogs or you trip on a rug in the house. I've found that's the one one of those common ways people fall and get hurt. Um, You kind of have PTSD and you kind of (gasps) like, I don't want that to ever happen to me again. And so I had the same thing when it came to my bike and um, I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. And so the plan was I was just going to ride on a flat area along a river and kind of get used to the muscle memory and get back on my bike and clipping out because you clip into the pedals when you mountain bike. And my husband kind of did that thing almost like when your parents keep backing up in a swimming pool and you jump to them and then all of a sudden you're swimming. He was like, why don't you just come on up with the trail with me for a minute? You're going to get so bored riding around here in circles. Mm. I was like, I don't know. That wasn't the plan. He's like, come on. And he coached me the whole way and just reminded me of like, some of the, you know, the fundamentals of mountain biking, about braking and things like that. And I almost broke out and kind of like you feel when you finish like a a long run, like a 10K or a marathon, you're just, you're almost in tears. That's how I felt when I finished the ride. Like I did it. I'm back. So it's just so euphoric. And I just want to say thank you to everyone who's been with me on this journey. I have so many sweet family members and friends and medical personnel that have just cheered me on every step of the way and I can't be more thankful. So my big question for you, first of all, congratulations for getting back on the mountain bike. Thank that was you. After a, it was a, a big deal. About six months, you said. Mm-hmm. So is this that case yeah. you always hear? I don't know if it's an old wives tale or not, but is where the bone broke? Is it now they say it's strong? You're stronger yeah. in the broken place. Is it? Is it stronger now? So if you were to fall again, you would have like less of a chance of that happening. Yeah, that's what the surgeon told me, Dr. McClellan. He was awesome. And the other thing that we did on our own, this wasn't like 
My physical therapist didn't tell me to do this. The surgeon wasn't worried about me getting back on my bike. He was like, go for it. You do that. Go cross-country skiing. Do all the things you love. Um, My husband found uh, these wrist guards that were designed by an orthopedic surgeon for snowboarding. Hmm. And I'm wearing those. And if I do fall again and accidentally do that thing you're not supposed to do and put your arm out, it'll keep my wrist from flicking back and dislocating and breaking like it did Hmm. back on April 9th. So I'm... I got used to wearing those, too. They're a little bit like, you know, this time of year they're fine, but I'm thinking, are these going to be a little bit hot in the summer? But I, I, I'm i pretty much wrapped in bu- bubble wrap when I'm out there. I look like a fool between the helmet and the knee pads and the elbow pads and now the wrist pads, but I don't care. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> I, I love the sport and I want to keep doing it. If you had to live without water or Wi-Fi... Which would you choose, Kev? How about you? Oh, I'd live without Wi-Fi. Yeah, you could because think how much you use water for. Right? Yeah, there, there's exactly. no way I would pick Wi-Fi over. Yeah, water. I desperately have to have water. I, I love hot showers. I love flushing toilets. I drink so much water. Uh, but according to a brand new survey, nearly half of Americans can't live out without their electronics and Wi-Fi. Hmm. We also say we can't live without our medicine, electricity, and gas. Uh, I was over talking, water? People made those picks of those over water? Yeah, wow. which is shocking. I was talking to a friend of mine who um, is in an area that was hit by Hurricane Ian, and they had no power. Mm-hmm. And she said she kept she had took a freezing cold shower. They barely figured out how to make some coffee with this little gadget that Glenn and I had given them called an AeroPress. And she kept trying to flick on lights. Because, you know, that muscle memory, mm. you're so used to having power. You right. just don't think about it. Are your teens always tired? Coming up, the top myths when it comes to teenagers and sleep. Are your teens always tired? (laughs) They discover the top myths when it comes to teenagers and sleep, according to sleep experts. Myth number one, teens fall asleep in class because they're lazy. Hmm. It's actually puberty that causes all that sleepiness. Mm, I fell asleep in class quite a bit when I was a teenager and Laziness definitely (laughs) played in at that phase of my life. Myth number two, it's okay for teens to pull all-nighters so they can study. Nope. Experts say no one can think clearly when they're sleep-deprived. Right. You should only stay up that late back again when I was a teen to watch late-night television. There you go. (laughs) I was in the front row seat for David Letterman every night. Myth number three about teens and sleep. It's okay for them to stay up late and sleep in on weekends. Nope. That creates what's called social jet lag, which leads your child to have lower academic performance and increased mental health symptoms. Hmm. Wow. My daughter, Amber, total go-getter. I mean, she is like type A personality. But when it comes to sleeping, she is world class. And she was that kid. She would she'd come home from school, sleep for like two or three hours. Weekends, she could sleep an afternoon away. And if I did that, I would regret it. Right? Mm-hmm. Wouldn't you? You'd be like, oh, oh man, yeah, I wasted I don't a day. That. Yeah. To her, that was a day well spent. Wow. Like sleeping all day. She just loves sleep. I texted this article. There are actually a, a total of 10 myths. Hmm. And I texted it to my teenage niece. Yeah. No response yet. <laughs> it's probably sleep. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so let's talk about sleep, right? And in, in, like with Tracy and I, very, very different sleepers. I am literally dead to the world when I fall asleep. Good luck trying to wake me up. Tracy, the slightest little noise, she's sitting upright. Mm -hmm. Why is that? 
Why why are two human beings who have spent their entire lives together so different when it comes to sleep? What's it like for you? We'd love to hear, are you a dead-to-the-world sleeper, or are you just so light that any little noise will sit you right up in bed? So we're talking about heavy sleepers and light sleepers. I have a lifelong history of being a very, very heavy sleeper, like dead-to-the-world. One time, we went on a family vacation, and my brother and I were old enough that my parents were like, we're going to have our own room. They're going to have the adjoining room next door to us. We had our own room. Well, one night, um, everybody was in the, it was a tour. We were on a two-week tour, long trip. Um, and everybody was in the uh, the dining room of the hotel we were staying at, the restaurant. And I got tired. I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to bed. So my mom was like, okay, just don't put the key in the door. We were in a country where if you put the key in the door on the inside, you could not enter from the outside. So what did I do? I put the key in the door. They could not open the door. Uh Uh-oh. As the legend goes, I don't know, because I slept through it all. They were banging on the door. They were banging on the wall on both sides of the room. They had the people upstairs, like, stomping on the floor, and their phone was ringing, and I would not wake up. Wow. Got so bad, the hotel was like, we could lower someone from the roof if you're really that worried. And my parents made the call. They were like, no, he's, he's a very heavy sleeper. Well, we're sure he'll wake up in the morning. Sure enough, I woke up the next morning. I was like, huh, I wonder where Scott is. My brother, I wonder where Scott is. And I went next door and my mom and dad and my brother were there. I was like, Scott, what are you doing in here? <laughs> I slept through it all. Apparently wow. it was quite the ruckus on the uh, on that hotel room floor, but I didn't, I didn't wake up at all. I have a good story I could share in a minute, too, of me sleeping through something, and it caused me major stress. Okay. For some reason, I'm a really deep sleeper, too. Hmm. We'd love to hear from you. Light sleeper, heavy sleeper, got a good story? So when I was a kid, my sleeping was legend in my family, but you're pretty deep sleeper too? Yeah, you had asked earlier, who's the deeper sleeper in your family? You or your other half? And for for us, it is by far me. I sleep so much deeper than Glenn. Like mm. if we have an animal that needs attending to, he's the one that jumps up. And gets the dog out or whatever it is. Like, he's just always been that way. And he's also, he wakes up and he can have like a very, you know, coherent conversation, even though I accidentally woke him up if I'm Hmm. the one who got up first. But it all started back when I was a teenager. I remember, um, you know, I grew up with a family where we went to Sunday morning, Sunday night and Wednesday night church. And you did not miss. And I had taken a Sunday afternoon nap. And apparently my family tried, several family members tried to come wake me up from the nap. And I even woke up enough to speak to them, which I don't recall. Hmm. And I said, okay, I'll get up in a minute. And then I just would not wake up. So they all left for church without me. And I thought maybe the rapture had come and I got left behind. (laughs) (laughs) I was freaked out when I woke up. Like, where is my old family's missing? Everyone's gone. No one's here but me. (laughs) Taylor, home alone, rapture edition. (laughs) (laughs) Could it be even possible that the pandemic permanently altered our personalities According to brand new research, how so? those couple of years of quarantine, uncertainty and lockdown life made adults less extroverted, less open, less agreeable and more conscientious, less conscientious. Sorry. Uh, young adults in particular during the pandemic grew moodier, more emotional and more sensitive to stress. And uh, researchers aren't sure whether adults will revert to their old personalities 
as the pandemic social and economic impacts fade. Hmm. But I know someone who keeps a young person who keeps a book on confidence in their car because they they got so socially awkward during the pandemic. They're great on one on one. But when they go to a group setting, they start to get some anxiety because they're just not used to being around that many people. It'd be interesting to see how how they behaved before everything. Mm-hmm. If they, if they were kind of a little bit introverted already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And was it, is it just like exaggerated now or mm-hmm. did they just get out of practice or, or whatever? I hmm. kind of experienced that in a non-pandemic way. I helped train a woman who had been home with her kids for 18 years. And it just took her a while to get her groove. I finally, I was training her to be a receptionist. And finally, after the third day, I said, you're answering the phone next time it rings. Hmm. You have to just, you can do this. You got it. You know, it was just making her nervous think about this for a minute how many times have you been to a meeting at work that you know last 30 oh no it ends up being 40 minutes because that one person always has to ask a question at the end (laughs) and you're like that totally could have been an email we're going to talk about that next you know that feeling when you look at your schedule for the week and you're like oh i've got like three meetings and then you go sit through like a 30-minute meeting that ends up becoming a 40-minute meeting because that one person always has to ask questions at the end. Mm-hmm. And you're like, that totally could have been an email. Why do we just do that? <laughs> right. They don't understand when the person leading the meeting goes, well, as long as there aren't any more questions, that ends the meeting. They don't understand. That means this is over. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So this is an article maybe you could send email your boss okay. or suddenly... Uh, place it on his or her desk when they're not looking and run away. There's a brand new Harvard Business Review that revealed that companies can save millions of dollars a year just by skipping meetings. Did someone say millions? (laughs) That's your boss. Millions. Millions. (laughs) So it's just bottom line, it's a waste of time. And they say that 90% of us daydream through meetings and 70% of us end up multitasking well, because they're that boring and that much could have been just an email or a quick little like check-in for of course, five minutes. Of course not us, boss. Right. No. <laughs> no, no. No way. No daydreaming no here. No way. But <laughs> no multitasking here. Yeah, that that is the dreaded moment at the end. The meeting is done. And <laughs> there's always some... And it, the question is always... Something very specific to their little sandbox in the office setting that has nothing to do with anyone else on the call. But you can't hang up because you won't be a team player if you don't listen to that very specific answer to that very specific Mm -hmm. question, right? Yep. So maybe, I don't know. Hey, that four-day work week experiment in the UK is going phenomenally. Mm Maybe the next thing, if people hear they can save million dollar, millions of dollars by not having meetings, maybe that's, maybe the, that's the next maybe wave that's the, the key. Maybe that'll do it, right? Yeah. Have you ever gone out somewhere and randomly just met a couple, met or met somebody else, and you're like, oh my gosh, the coincidences in our lives are just really freaky weird. That happened to my wife and I. We met a couple uh, when we went out for dinner the other night, and the coincidences were wild. We'll talk about them next. So have you ever had one of those uh, circumstances where you meet a couple for the first time and the coincidence you have, coincidences you have, like specific things are really crazy. Well, my wife and I, we went out to dinner the other night and we had to wait for a table and the, the waiting area was like a bunch of couches and stuff. So we sat down next to this couple and said, you mind if we share this like little area with you? And they're like, mm-hmm. oh, no, that's fine. So we started chatting 
Here are just some of the coincidences. We have a son named Kyle. They have a son named Kyle. We have a dog named Charlie Alexander the Great. They have a son named Alexander they call the Great. His name is Scott. My brother's name is Scott. They have five dogs. We have five dogs. Oh, wow. But here's where it gets really freaky. We used to live in Winchester, Virginia. They used to live in Winchester, Virginia. Oh, my goodness. We used to live in South Florida. They used to live in South Florida. How weird is that? It was just like so freaky. I was like, if we we sit here and talk for an hour, we're probably related or something. Please tell me you exchanged phone numbers. No. It's like you guys were destined to be friends. We didn't, but we did tell them all about the uh, Beatles festival we go to every year. Turns out she's a massive Beatles fanatic. How did I never hear about this? We're totally going. What hotel are you guys staying in? We're going to go. So, it's a double date trip. We, yeah, we left it at. We hope to see you there in in the yeah, spring. So that's so wild. I don't know if you guys what have ever had any, yeah, anything happen like that, but it was just like, holy cow, this is just really, really. Do 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 do. You guys need to become friends. It's kind of weird. Well, now it's like serendipity. It's like that movie. Like you have to hope you run into each other at is, the Beatles if it festival. Is, they will be at Abbey Road on the river, and we yes. will we will see them there. But it was really it was really fun chatting with them. We were talking about my wife and I went out uh, the other night and we met a couple who we just had all of this coincidental stuff with. I don't know if you've ever met anyone like that, but it's pretty weird when it does. She's That's just so like, bizarre. That's the most uh, matched up couple, two couples I've ever heard of. You just can't help but think like God had something to do with this. Right? Yeah. There's, there's no way in all the people in that place. We just happened to plop down next to them. And we went to a show after that with... Um, an artist named Jeff Beck. I don't know if you guys know his name or not, but he's he's a guitarist guitarist. Like he he's been on so many records and played for so many people. It's ridiculous how many people he's been. He was Rod Stewart's guitarist for a long time. Wow. Or no, Rod Stewart was in his band, was the singer in his band. Oh my before Rod Stewart was Rod Stewart. So anyhow, he's older. I think he was seven he's seventy eight, maybe. Wow. Something like that. Still he, touring. The we, we sit down in our seats for the show, and there's a guy and a girl sitting next to me. It's a father and a daughter. Da- daughter's like 20. Dad's like 50-something. So I looked over, and I said, did your dad drag you to this show? She's like, oh, no, I dragged him. I love Jeff Beck. Oh, cool. I said, really? She goes, yeah. When he came out, it was like the Beatles were coming on stage. <laughs> she started squealing and screaming. That's cute. <laughs> I was like... How does this happen? How does a 20-year-old kid become that into an artist like that? You YouTube, thought, TikTok, I guess. iTunes music. You would have to yeah. put it in my perspective like one of my daughters is Gaga for Harry Styles. Mm-hmm. You would have thought Harry Styles was I don't know, one of the disciples or something. She's just like <laughs> nuts over Harry Styles. That's the level that it was. She had the shirt on. She was yelling for Jeff Beck when he was done. She was sad like I can't believe it's over already. <laughs> That's awesome. I wonder if her dad had an equally good time. I think he did, he did a fair amount of eye rolling, actually. 